Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I'm your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my two co-hosts, Ryan. Don't do it, Scott. I'm going oh, to do it, man. Oh, Scott's going to do something. I don't know what it is. You take that You take that gun from your head right now, sir. I, okay, pause. He doesn't actually have a gun to his head. He has a Nerf projectile thrower. It's real to me. <laughs> now he's aiming at me, and I'm going to get a Nerf dart to my head. Anyway, hey, all right, we're put done. the gun away. Fine, she takes uh, over. Fine, I'm, so, I'm well, sorry. Well, I have to insert some drama into this somehow. There has to be tension between all yes. of us. How appropriate for the episode <laughs> we're about to do. Yes, yep. <laughs> yes. This one is going to be about where we talk about live action role playing. Not that we haven't talked it to <laughs> death already. We apologize, but we figured it's time for a whole episode. Yes. Yeah, we've, uh, we've said some stuff about LARP, uh, haven't we? Yeah, hey guys, it. what is LARP? LARP is live action role playing. Uh, it means you walk, you run around, and you do the things that your character does, as opposed to rolling the dice about it. Um, but before we get into that, we should probably briefly go over the news. Oh, okay, we can do that. Um, I think the, I mean, we we've kind of beat this subject to death, but Seven Seas has been kicking ass. It finally got funded. Uh, and it was about a million and a quarter dollars, 1.25 million plus, uh, and that is freaking ridiculous. That is the highest grossing tabletop RPG to ever grace Kickstarter's webpage. Um, that has really set the new bar. Um, John Wick and his team are adding new writers as we speak to help him with all these new source books. Um, I don't know where, I don't think the sky's the limit, man. For that, for that, and him, it's great. It's fantastic. Mechanics better be tight. <laughs> I'm sure they will be. And 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 something to note there is that that uh, 1.25 million doesn't just fund one book. That is actually funding an entire game line. Uh, like two years worth of source books are being funded off of that that run. So while it is incredibly impressive, uh, we shouldn't give the impression that it was you know that much money for one book. Yeah, but it's definitely a, a show of great investment from the community and show that they're uh, – to that company and to other companies that there is true money and legacy to be formed within within Kickstarter. And oh, that tabletop, tabletop RPGs are that important. Absolutely. And, you know, con- congratulations to John Wick and his crew. Yep. Uh, in other news, uh, Pugmire also got funded Yes. Uh, by quite a bit, and what makes me super excited is that they they funded enough to do some some starting on work on the Monarchies of Mal, uh, okay. which I um, can't, yay, Katie Politics, yay. Is like be, instead of be, be a good dog is be a better cat. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I already hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I already. I hate anything that aggrandizes cats. Oh, wait, no, edit that out. Leave me alone. Anonymous, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, cats are great. Cats are great. I'm so sorry. Don't don't end me. You realize the, the anima avatar of the internet is a giant kitty, right? Not not a cat, a kitty. I, I understand that. I don't have to like it. 
<laughs> it's okay, Ryan. It's okay to like the inferior animal. Um. Anyway, so Anyways, let's get on with the actual show, shall we? Absolutely. As Scott said, we're going to talk about live action role play. Now, uh, in general, there are two main sort of categories of live action role playing. There's salon, and there's boffer. Uh, Scott, what can you tell me about salon? Well, uh, if you look at this whole thing, role playing as a spectrum. Uh, Salon LARPing exists, I'd, I'd say, probably in the middle of the spectrum uh, in terms of level of abstraction, uh, in terms of what your character does and what you do. You know, tabletop, we've talked about that fairly often. You sit around the table, you describe your actions, and you roll dice. Salon takes that and pushes it one step away from abstraction and, and closer to pure representation. Uh, in that, you know, you don't sit at a table. Well, you can sit at a table, but you're not exclusively at a table. You're generally at a larger location than someone's living room. Uh, and that gives you the opportunity to walk around, to, you know, have, have little scenes with, with other players, uh, and, and sort of have a more physicality to the game. Um, your actions, particularly things like combat, are still abstracted. Uh, they're still dealt with by very... Um, very objective mechanics, uh, dice rolling, card pulling, uh, throwing rock, paper, scissor, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so you, you are, like I said, you're taking it one step uh, away from the table, uh, doing some actual physical play acting, uh, which is probably the best, uh, best, uh, analogy for it. You're, you're like, you're, you're acting more like an actor on a stage than, you know, a person at a table playing a game. But also it's it, like acting using that example. It's also, it's improv theater in that you are your character. It, um, you don't have a predetermined script. Just mm -hmm. like if you are at a table, you're improving what your character says and does uh, within the confines of the mechanics. Um, what are your thoughts, Ryan? Oh, it, I mean, I always use, for anyone who just doesn't understand what LARPing is, because at this point it's actually part of the social consciousness that it is a thing that exists. So when I use to just, when I describe what exactly we do, I just say improv theater mixed with Dungeons and Dragons. And that usually puts an idea in people's heads or a sort of an overarching image of kind of what's happening enough to where people can sort of wrap their head around and we can actually have a conversation about what we actually do. And that goes for either salon or boffer. I would say salon in my mind sits a lot closer to tabletop than it does oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. the physicality because of boffer. Salons are typically in my experience uh, places that are uh, more confined they're generally not over a whole weekend they're generally have six to eight hours something like that and you know also um larp also brings in salon larping also brings in things like costuming uh decor uh props um you, know, you can have these sort of things at a tabletop but that's a that's a weird game session where everyone's in costume and they're all drinking our goblets of blood um i think they call that a cult yeah, and so did the 90s media, that and, is look, true, where, that's and right. look where that got us. <laughs> they, but yeah, I mean, salon LARPing brings, as everyone mentioned, it just brings it more onto the stage, as it were, uh, out, of the, out of the basement onto the stage. Physicality is acceptable, mm -hmm. Yell, like raising your voice, being demonstrative, storming across a room, flipping a chair over maybe even. Yeah. These are all acceptable things depending on the venue that you're in. Right. Dancing. Oh. Sometimes dancing. Dancing, interpretive dance. It may be some gamer's first opportunity to touch a member of the opposite sex. 
Although you probably shouldn't use it for that. Yeah. Generally, most actually slung have like a no contact rule. Actually, they like don't touch other people unless they or, or accept or, or consent to you touching. Oh well, dude. I mean, that's just society. Well, like, yeah. You should um, just do that in general. Don't touch someone unless they want to. Like, the, yard, the, the yardstick rule is a very good rule. Mm-hmm. Like you should always be able to stay about three feet from someone. Um, and so salon is sort of that next. A lot of people consider Salon sort of the next evolution, the next step to take in sort of a role-playing career. A lot of people do it. Not everyone, and that's perfectly fine. If they're not comfortable doing it, don't do it. Do where, Go where your fun is. But a lot of people see it as like another level of commitment to the immersion of your character and to the play world that you are in and partaking in. Um, now, the next part would be that would some would even consider they even – a step farther from Salon uh, would be Buffaloes. And Ryan's going to tell us a little bit about that. Well, first and foremost, be ready for a weekend commitment for the most part. It, it Buffaloes takes place usually, the way it, it works where we're located in Georgia is most likely you are at a state park at one of their group lodge facilities or a primitive site if it's a camp over event, which can be very uncomfortable. Uh, and you are in full costume as much as possible you're in character for about 36 to 48 hours depending on the length of the event contact uh contact you know you're fighting each other with foam weapons foam arrows you if you're throwing spells you're doing it using bird seed packets which i know this all sounds supremely silly but i promise you if you're there it's it's a really good time <laughs> I have a I have a go-to way of describing this of like if you look at bopper larping from the outside it is the dorkiest thing you could possibly imagine. If you look at it from the inside however, it's the dorkiest thing you can possibly imagine. But we're all signed up. Yeah, we're all signed up and it's incredibly fun. Uh, what give a little bit of backstory, a little bit of context. Uh whereas salon you have sort of abstract mechanics you roll you do paper rock scissors you roll dice you pull cards in buffer you have foam covered sticks essentially that you strike people with and it can do damage it has effects you throw bird seed packets to people and that's a spell or another effect there is no randomness to right this. you the physicality of what you're doing is not abstracted outside yourself you need to go do it if i want to hit ryan with a boffer weapon, I have to hit Ryan with a boffer weapon. There is nothing impeding me other than my own skill and maybe some mechanical effects. Yeah, you can be as powerful as, uh, you can be the most powerful dude on the planet, and if you don't hit them with your, your sword, you don't hit them with your sword. There's not, there's generally nothing uh, in a, in a boffer larps mechanic that allows you to hit someone even if you didn't. Uh, that, that would be lame. I would hate that. As would I. And so these things, as you can see, as Scott said, is on a spectrum. And buffer larping is getting to the far left or right, depending where you started. And just to be clear, though, there are people who take this so much further than the buffer larping that the three of us do. Oh, yeah. There's... In Europe, this is some serious business where they, they – what we use in buffer larp to adjudicate our mechanics are what's called taglines. They are verbalized things that we do well – well, we're, we say that we're doing, and everyone is mostly aware of what they mean. Most uh, There are many Nordic LARPs and European LARPs in general that have moved on to systems that are outside of taglines. And even here in Georgia, there are some more battle simulation games 
that move so far away from LARPing that we don't we barely consider them that. Yeah, anymore. we have something called the SCA, and that that is a lot of more. It is LARPing, it is role playing, but they try to do they try to be more historically accurate, and they really they don't have foam covered weapons. They have rattan weapons, which can actually hurt you. Yeah, and I mean, there's also uh, things like Amp Guard, um, yeah. which that is far more of a sport than it is a game, in my opinion. Uh, their weapons are vastly different from either of the Rattan weapons Matthew mentioned in SCA, or the the buffer weapons that we the fo- the the foam buffer weapons that we do in our in our style of role play of LARPing. They're like pil- literally pillows on sticks, and you know their style of combat is it's it's more of a sport. It's more of a combat sport. It's a speed. It's a speed thing, and it's a power thing, because obviously you don't want to hurt your fellow role player. And when you get to the realms of buffalo larping, where you're actually when you're physically interacting with other people, there is always the potential of hurting someone. And that's the whole point why you do foam covered weapons is so that you don't hurt someone. And except so, when and Matt co- stabs me in the throat <laughs> once or twice this weekend. Thank you, Matt. Apologize. <laughs> it's called thrusting and people deflecting. Not my fault. <laughs> Uh, even even on the 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 stronger end of this, uh, this and this very well may be apocryphal. This may be someone telling t- telling me a lie of some variety. I have heard tell of some Nordic LARPs uh, where they used uh, they don't use boffers. They use like blunted steel weapons, uh, and they go full combat simulation, which I suppose is one advantage of being in countries where healthcare is universal and free. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. If you get if you get a serious like blunt force trauma wound during a LARP, you can just go to the hospital and not have it ruin your life. Yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know how valid that is, but obviously people are going to get hurt. I mean, there's games occasionally. There's a resurgence of full plate armor contact, like fighting with with swords and stuff. That is that's just becoming a, a sporting thing that people yeah, want to right. watch. I remember that. And I mean. I wouldn't mind watching it. It sounds really cool, yeah, honestly. Right. <laughs> and, and for people who may not be, I don't remember the name, but basically it is, is it's basically gladiatorial fighting, but people are in like full, what would be considered modern versions of full plate mail with, with thick ass, maybe rattan or even steel weapons. And they're going to town on each other mm-hmm. and they're scored. And it is like an MMA fight, but they have weapons and armor on. But we're straying from, from the core conversation, which is LARPing. Um, and taking it back to that, this is all just describes that, that this is not just something where there's one style of it. There's a whole family of it, but the basics are you're generally outside. You're generally, there's no randomness involved. You do what you do. You, you actually fight your fights. Um, and you know, it's incredibly immersive. Uh, you know, as Ryan mentioned, you stay, you're, you're in game for a weekend and you're staying in character for the great majority of that time. And it's, in my experience as role-playing, there's no better way to get into someone's head, to get into a character's head, to embody a character, to step outside yourself, than to, you know, eat, sleep, crap, and, you know, fight as that character. Um, Because I think, obviously, a lot of geeks and nerds 
especially if you come from a tabletop background, you're you're sitting around eating Cheetos, drinking your Mountain Dew, and rolling some dice. You're not out there physically getting involved. You don't feel the stress of your character. You don't feel the heat and the sun on you or anything like that. And as you slowly go into the live action side of things, you start becoming your character more, portraying the character, and that helps. That physicality helps you get in there. And then when you go to ball for LARPing, in my experience. When you feel that stress of the fight, when you do that, you really start feeling the exhilaration, just like any sport, just like anyone you would say that does any sort of outdoor activity, they feel the rush and the exhilaration of physically doing something, which I advocate because that's a measure of physical fitness, and it's fun. It's legitimately fun. I have a set of musculature that I probably couldn't use much anyplace else, just (laughs) because specifically of how I fight at a LARP. I find myself capable of some stuff there that were you to ask me to do it like right now, I might shy away from, but because of the uh, constant adrenaline rush of what's happening, I I see no issue with like doing a diving roll uh, like across like grass or even concrete if necessary. Or if you were to ask me to do that right now, I'd look at you like you were an idiot. <laughs> like I in in going back to what we said in the physicality and, and even injury, I took an injury for Buffalo Harbor is not significant, but it's noticeable because I was fighting in the middle of the dark. I went whole hog on fighting my opponent and I tripped over something I didn't see and almost nearly broke my arm by doing it. But, I have a permanent knee injury and a permanent ankle injury. Uh, and, you know, uh, the, we've been talking about combat mostly because that's kind of the the the, the hallmark of it, and, you know, the the physicality and the live at nature of it. Um, but you know, this goes to other forms of of the the role playing as well. You know, being in that environment, being in that place where danger is literally omnipresent, where it can happen at any time, uh, when monsters can kick in the door and 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 you know interrupt your your quiet quiet conversation adds an edge to it. It adds a, a an edge of realness to it that just enriches any kind of role play that you're doing, being it like uh, hardcore social or political, be it like romantic role play, uh, if you're dealing with wooji magical stuff, the fact that, you know, random, you know, oni monsters can come in and muck with muck with your 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 delicate magical working that you're doing. Um, it just it adds that 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 spark and that flavor and that juice anything that you want to do even if you're not a combat person the potential and the presence of such in your face realness makes it just takes it to the next level and and i absolutely agree uh, because you got to remember when you're out even in a little bit of a salon but a lot in buffer is the idea of i can't roll to see the monsters coming i can't make a spot check or perception check i have to be aware of my surroundings I have to be aware of myself and what's going on in order to keep myself safe and or just to keep myself in a positive position. I honestly believe that a measure of how successful you will be in at least the combat aspect of LARPing is situational awareness at its core. It's like, and of course that's kind of a no-duh thing, but the amount of difference it actually makes that I've seen is is immense. I've watched people who are like, they have built their entire character around being the biggest, nastiest, scariest, badass killing machine. But at the end of the day, they just don't have the situational awareness to to notice when a guy is coming in at a certain angle, and they just they will get wrecked. And that's yeah. It's nice to have the mechanics to be able to 
abstract out not having good situational awareness to where you can take a few hard hits and be like, okay, I got it. And now I'm recentered and I know what I'm doing. But yeah, if you're, if you're not built out to deal with that, you're just going down. Yeah. And, and like Scott said, you, when we have been talking about combat, but something I just thought about is the political and social dynamics. Live action role playing can teach you so important social skills later in life. You got to remember being being gamers a lot of us don't have we have a very tight-knit group of friends we don't have a lot of friends we're not socialites a lot of us are introverts a lot of us may have anxiety issues and tabletop gaming can help us you know expand that but also larping is that next step of where you deal with more people than just your small group and you have to learn how to work and cooperate with others as well as learn i think what's most important leadership skills people don't understand leadership skills and the more you go up the scale from like salon to buffer, the leadership skills become more important. Yeah, and I mean, uh, in addition to that, buffer LARPs, all LARPs really, but buffer LARPs in particular, um, the thing, one of the biggest things that keeps them going is a near constant influx of new players. Uh, and that means you're going to be co- pretty constantly meeting new people if you continue to play at a, at a Boffer LARP. You're going you're gonna to make, make, make new acquaintances, meet new people. You're going to learn valuable networking skills, value, valuable leadership skills, cooperation skills. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be gained from this hobby. Um, I've just personally watched a lot of people, like, gain an immense amount of confidence just because of – and just because they have have been allowed to – in the under the auspices of role playing be very direct with someone about their feelings on a subject where there is almost no repercussions for it right where you can try on actually being assertive when the stakes are so so very low that you can at least understand what whether your version of assertive actually works on people or you just piss people off right i mean i've seen and you're absolutely correct in that you Live action, and you can do this in normal role playing, but definitely in live action, you can test out personae. You can do, go, I want to be like uh, one of my characters in Fractured is Gordon. I, when I started that character, I said, I want to try to be a socialite. I want to try to do espionage stuff, be sneaky. I'd been fighters most of the time. You very succeeded sh- at about a third of that. You know what? At least I tried, and I've learned a lot about myself doing it, and I call that a success. And, and Ryan, Ryan gives Matthew crap, but as the person who actually runs uh, runs that game, uh, helps run that game, uh, and has been with Matthew for many a dark and scary things, uh, inflicting terrible torments upon him and making him do, do valuable things, Matthew actually does a pretty good job as Gordon. He he gets up to some shit, and he and he's accomplished a great deal that not all the players are quite aware of. Which is good. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm getting at is, uh, is besides just the fun of it, this is why I think it the the evolution of going from tabletop to salon to buffer is I think every role player should try because you will you may really enjoy it and you may gain a substantial amount uh, from it. Uh, another thing that you can get out of LARPing that you that it can be difficult to get out of other situations and other other experiences. Um, is the chance to experience um, in a in a relatively low stakes uh, environment what it is to fail and fail big mm-hmm. um, to to undergo a serious traumatic setback um, within a setting where you're not actually going to you know lose a house or you know 
lose a leg or or had suffer some terrible true injury but you can you can get your you can get messed up you can you can die you can have all your plans fall out from under you and that is a thing that can be worth experiencing really looking at feeling that sort of tragedy and despondency and darkness in a safe scenario that might prepare you for some stuff i mean i have seen people who walk in the game and they're like I'm big, I'm bad, I will own this, I will own everything. And five minutes, ten minutes in, they encounter something they didn't, they were not expecting, and they do not know how to react, and they fail, and they fall. And they, they, they that veneer of arrogance falls away, and they really have to look in themselves and go, what am I about, what is my character about, because I have to portray this character, and how am I going to bounce back from this setback? And that's that's a testament. That's a little bit of a, a trial. One of the things that I will say, oh, another really, I'm going to just you really give Larving a handy on this one, is it <laughs> really, really prevents the, the gamer's Nuremberg in a lot of ways. Like It makes it super hard to use the defense, well, that's what my character would do, to be harmful to another player. Because it's one thing to be across the table or be super shitty to an NPC at a tabletop game or another player, but if you have to look in the face of someone who looks like your friend and do genuine shitty harm because you believe that that's what your character would do, you will think twice about it unless you're a sociopath. (laughs) Right, and also, this is another thing, and uh, because I've got I've got some buddies I talk to who are ex-military and the it, people and civilians don't understand sort of the price of violence and what happens in a very safe way. You can understand what violence will actually do to people and can do. Yeah, it's fun and exhilarating. We sometimes romanticize violence, but you're like you're talking to a dude and you're gonna mouth off. He's got a sword in his hand and he if you he gets angry enough, guess what he's going to do. He's going to beat you into the ground, and you're going to have to deal with it. So you don't get to go, well, it's fine, it was just a joke. No, he will just steamroll you, and you have to live with the consequences of being a jackass. That being said, we have, through that particular set of circumstances, cultivated in both of the games we play currently, an actual very polite society where violence generally is not how we solve our problems not amongst ourselves not amongst ourselves at least it's genuine generally just talking to each other and some of course backbiting nonsense because of course that's how social circles work but at least we don't go directly for the mow this dude over for his stuff situation very much and and that's actually sort of a negative that sometimes can come up from boffer larping is sort of if the games sometimes get really big and you don't get that personal contact with everyone you can create a situation where there's one guy who's going to spoil everything for everyone because he feels like being just a shit to everyone yeah it's uh yeah i mean um yeah boffer larp really does bring out sort of the 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 realness of situations and you know you you begin to value things like diplomacy things like i mean there there are situations where you know town uh town is a is is a very common term to boffer alert because generally it's just i've always heard people refer to it as just town yeah that's how like it's 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 always been yeah it's like a verb it's it's, like a it's a general noun town i.e the group of players um you know, they don't always want to get into every fight. And, you know, sometimes 
when you got your ass kicked 40 minutes ago by the rampaging horde of zombies, sometimes your your blood gets a little down and you don't necessarily want to kick the crap out of your political enemies who are who are coming in to bluster at you and and diplomacy starts to look a little good because well we're out of feats and you know our our uh, our, our resources, our, our are, resources low. are pretty low and we might not make it out of this one so maybe plan uh, maybe plan be a shitlord uh- you know, I, the most real version of that that I have ever seen is actually at a game that's going to be running with our friends from uh, Freestyle Science after the end. Um, there was a situation where the, the group, the players had just gotten back from a really nasty, really nasty encounter, and the NPCs had, were coming to reclaim their boss who had been taken captive. And we just kind of, we as the NPCs met the PCs on the road, and it could not have been more of a Western standoff if I had ever seen it in my life. Oh, yeah. It was just a lot of people with a lot of firepower staring really hard at one another and making doing that math of how many people are going to die if we just start shooting one another over this one person. And it, it was amazing to see, but the PCs were just like, you know what? Here you go. We don't. Mm-hmm. It's just not, tonight's not, not the worth, night. Yeah, not worth not it. Worth he it. wasn't. He was like the added bonus in that story. He was just an added bonus on top of the ice cream that we got. Like we had already accomplished our goal. He was just like, oh, we'll take them, and that will be another issue we can resolve. And then we're like, no, we can't. We we don't get to keep them because we don't have the manpower to deal with the situation. Because that we were about. I mean, they were. One almost one to one with them, like yeah. as far as the number of non-player characters to player characters in that situation, which is where smaller games get very interesting when the number of NPCs equal the number of PCs. And uh, you know, to the and that's to plot staff's credit of you know you can always have the, the staff of the game can always have the NPCs be rough and ready and and ready to go, but you don't get those sort of situations unless you you're willing to let your dudes be vulnerable. I have forgotten an immensely important aspect of buffer larping. Um, usually buffer LARPing runs with about five to eight full-time staff members who are the story directors of the game. They decide what's going on out in the world. They adjudicate mechanics that are player interactions. They adjudicate downtimes. They play as NPCs. Uh, there are, I mean, the P- the player characters do, in our games at least, have to go be NPCs under their direction for a shift every game and there are sometimes full-time npcs who come you know out of the goodness of their hearts and some lesser rewards for doing so but at the end of the day we call them plot and they are the people who make that shit run right whereas it probably should explain a little bit earlier tabletop you only have one gm one storyteller salon maybe you have one two three Boffer, because of the size of the game and the logistics involved of boffer generally you have what ryan said five to eight but to change gears a little bit, I mean, we've been talking more about our personal experiences and sort of the, the feel of Boffer LARPing. Uh, we should probably focus a little bit more on the nuts and bolts. Um, you know, as mentioned before, you know, Boffer LARPing is very physical. It's very real. Um, uh, and we're probably going to lean a lot on the games that we play uh, to, as, as far as our examples. Uh, this is not the only way to do things. There are some ways that are much more complicated, some of them are much more simple. Uh, but in general, uh, most games and the games that we run off of, uh, you have what amounts to a pool of resources. Um, you know, in our games, when you're a fighter, you have something called prowess, which is a small pool of, of resources that, that 
uh, you spend to do combat maneuvers, both defensive and offensive, which, you know, a combat maneuver is something that gets applied when a strike lands or when a strike is hit on you. Doing more multiple points of damage in a swing, depending on the type of game you've got. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of games out there where, um, in the older school of buffer LARPing, where they sort of do it a lot more like a simulating a tabletop game, in which the numbers are very large, and like a single swing of a, of a weapon will land as five damage onto a monster with like 150 hit points. The games we run... A single swing of a weapon is a single point of damage onto people onto something that likely has like three to ten hits on it. Right. Just to keep the math easier, because yeah. what we and this is sort of an evolutionary thing. We've come to realize that the bigger the numbers are, the harder they are to keep track of, and that's when cheating doth bloom. Yeah, <laughs> and also it's the I, easier to manage on the monster side of things, and just and to keep people sort of in line, as Ryan said, um, sort of the. Uh, as you easy said, there was an evolution of all this stuff and that you had because a lot of buffer harping, at least in the United States, as far as my knowledge goes, started out as sort of like D and D simulation. We're trying to be a D and D game, but in live action. Levels. Levels, classes, that kind of stuff. And you know, to further the evolution metaphor here, um um a lot of LARPing has evolved in such a way that, you know, you started with those D and D simulators, um, and then people took a look at those, sort of looked what worked, looked what didn't, tried to pare it down a little bit. Do their own uh, thing do, with do it. Do their own thing with it. Um, you know, stood on the shoulders of giants and stood on, stood, stood uh, looking uh, for, surveying the field of experience and what has come before, what has worked, what hasn't. Uh, and, you know, over the course of a couple decades, you know, it's, it's gotten to a very refined, very tight, uh, tight way of doing things, at least in the games that we play. Um, and you know this this idea of you know a limited pool of resources that you know you spend to do your thing, uh, which then can be recovered in various ways. Like prowess in our game, prowess prowess recovers by resting, uh, whereas magic magic is a lot harder. Magic goes off charge based systems uh, that we generally use, in which you have much to like the unknown armies charge based systems, where there is a you have a pool of charges and some rituals mm -hmm. that you must do. Now. This, in, in this case, it's a very this is jumps back to immersion because there's nothing more immersive than watching someone just sort of pace around and act like a total weirdo to get their powers back. Oh yeah, and just do idiosyncratic behaviors that are not necessarily fun, but they will get you your charges. If for for your MMO players out there, charges are a lot like mana. Prowess is a lot like like stamina or mana in that it's just a pool of resources that you can pull upon to do all manner of different things. And, and the whole purpose behind this stuff is to um, essentially give you a sense of scale, give you a sense of balance in the world, uh, to, to uh, uh, keep it from devolving into, I shot you, no, I shot, no, you didn't. Well, I got you in the leg, so you need to move, move slower. Um, it, it basically puts limits on what you can do, and by giving you those limits, it sort of it, it gives you sort of definition and, and puts you in a narrative and combat and mechanical space, which is fun. Well, yeah, because limits limits breed drama, right? Like that's how you allow things for your heroes to have flaws is that they can't do everything mystically or physically. Uh, and the more constrained the system, the easier it is to make a system more dramatic. Mm -hmm. with something that's bombastic and crazy and large 
for example, in our, within our system, I meant, uh, there, there is a thing where we do in fact have voice effect. And Scott did mention a thing that hits you even though they did not hit you. We use that mechanic so very sparingly, but it adds a whole lot of drama to a situation when just hearing a, a certain effect being called out will land it on you unless you do, like have some very specific resist for it. And that's supposed to heighten the drama of the situation. There's no real other way to simulate a giant monster stomping the ground as hard as it can without, you know, causing a voice effect knockdown, like, which is just a general status effect that a lot of LARPs have where you're just knocked to the ground. Right. Or something that's so scary and so something so palpably evil that you're just afraid of it, and that's well, yeah. voice effect fear, dragon fear, like yeah, in yeah. D and D. How else are you supposed to manage that other than just say, "Okay, unless you're real, real not scared of stuff, run." Yeah, or or in other games that they may not, they do have voice effects, or they may not. Some like to do, as we said, packets, birdseed packets can be represent spells. Generally, you throw those one at a time at your target. To do sort of an AOE effect, a lot of sometimes people will take just a handful of birdseed packets and toss them in a direction. And every time you get hit by that one of those packets, it's that effect multiplied. So it creates a situation where they're two separate mechanics that do very similar things, or at least trying to emulate something very similar. Uh, and there's also, uh, you know, there's also social mechanics that get again to play. Um, you know, while those are much lighter uh, than the, the combat ones, they still exist because, in general, because you're in a role-playing game, if you want to get something done socially, you should just do it socially and, you know, be, be convincing. But there are, there's something to be said for enhancing that ability with, with the, uh, you know, a, a particularly charismatic voice or, you know, you know a, a keen social understanding uh, or just other things that, that sort of lend weight to your natural roleplay. And in this case, it's a situation like a mechanic where you can sort of blow it to ask the NPC or the PC you're talking to just about some general social cues on how to deal with the, deal with that NPC or that person to enhance, like, if you're already a good role player or already are pretty charismatic, you can bend the situation to wherever you want if you know that piece of information about them. Or it lends you nothing because, you know, the thing you're asking for is an impossibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Also, another thing uh, besides social dynamics and combat is also another aspect of physicality that that is very unique to boffer larping, and that's traps. Oh yes. Oh wow! How did we uh, forget traps? Yeah, traps, and so they're staples. Yeah. So for a lot of boffer larps, and you can do this in salon. There's nothing wrong with trying to do it in salon. Is um, so you have a thief in a D and D party in a normal tabletop game. He wants to go and like check for traps and have to disarm the trap, and that's a lot of dice rolling. In buffer larps and salons, what you can do is actually set a trap, aka a mouse trap, with generally a bit of wire, with a bit of wire across an area, and you send in your tinker or whoever can disarm the trap. They go ahead, and if they don't see the trap, guess what? They may set it off. And there have been, I have seen the most insidious nonsense, like spider webs of fishing line. And like suspended mouse traps on ceilings, things that are just like, you oh you stepped on this thing and it squeaks. Sorry, you know just effect. Basically anything where a player can bump it one good time and make a loud noise can be turned into a trap that has to be disarmed or worked on. And man, nothing is more you know scarier than when you hear that snap sound because most of the time there's no way to defend against it. And I mean that that just goes in right back to the physicality of it. Like you, 
I mean, like Matt says, you know, this this draws upon a very very deep trope in role playing. You know, that of the thief, the pe- the person who pick. And th- there's also aspect of this of picking locks. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's a locked door or a locked chest, and there's goodies in there, and we want the goodies. Um, and, and so that's all part and parcel of this. It's what in what in our LARP it's called tinkering, um, which is just you know the the manipulation of mechanical moving part things. Um, and yeah, no, it it can be it can be downright insidious. We have a number of people who uh, make a craft of this, uh, and it is wonderful to see it all play out. Because, as you said, as a craft, just as you can be a really good boffer fighter, you can be a really good tinkerer or a thief, in that you, you as the player, are very good at finding the traps, figuring what kind of traps they are, because there's a whole different way of, many ways of altering a trap to, to work in a certain particular way and then disarming them so that they become a refine. It's a refinement and a skill set. Uh, one of the closest things I've heard that's almost a damn near simulation of thieving is a, from a LARP. I uh, talked to a, a guy from up North about, and in his LARP, they had this thing called the clip system for pickpocketing, where if you, you have a clip that has your symbol on it, your color, no one has necessarily knows which, what that is. But you walk by them, and if you can clip your little clip to their bag or their pocket, they have to go behind the tavern or the like one like the barracks or whatever, find the bag with your symbol on it, and empty their shit into it. Oh! And I am told that despite this being sounding like the most trolly, nasty mechanic, mm-hmm. most people in their culture only use it to prank each other and put pocket one another. Hmm. Yeah. I'm super wary, but also very intrigued. By it's it. like, like if you go to if you go to that thing and there's a thing in there, yeah, like, it's like oh, I just slipped something into your your. That's cool. yeah, it's like, like put in. Mm-hmm. They tell you to put it. There's a note that says put this in your pocket or something like that. Interesting. Um, that's really interesting. That that uh, keys off another thing that I I thought of, uh, which is uh, also LARP is a very crafter-friendly hobby. It is mm-hmm. the most crafter-friendly yeah, hobby as far it, as this stuff goes. Like, craftiness and the ability to make cool things goes hand-in-hand hand with LARP, and it is a wonderful thing. Because to be, you know, to, to improve the immersion of a LARP, having cool-looking weapons and ha- having, you know, light, strong weapons, having costumes and armor, uh, props, decor... Uh, all of this greatly improves the atmosphere of the game. And it is just, if you are a crafty person and you like making things, this is a wonderful avenue by which to do your stuff and, and to, hell, maybe even make some money helping your fellow LARPers get cool stuff to wear. And as a personal anecdote to that, I would have never figured out that I enjoy working with my hands as much as I do if I didn't make buffer weapons, I have a suit of lamellar armor, plastic lamellar armor, sitting in my closet right now while we're recording. <laughs> that took me a dozen or so hours to put together. I had to do that by hand. I learned how people, ancient people, would make lamellar plates and lamellar armor. Yeah, it's not up to the standards and quality of the ancient masters, of course, but it's cool and it's interesting and it's fun. Looks neat. Oh yeah. Um. Another personal anecdote that this is where props like will just like end in like a really really scary experience. Um, I have been in a situation in which one of the sites that we go to is exceptionally dark at night. Like it is like so heavily forested that even on a starry clear night, it 
like total darkness. And we have had a situation where we have seen just, we have heard something in the distance and a small group of us went to go check out what it was. And all we saw was 16 red eyes start glow to life in the darkness all at, all at the same time because they had planned for that and they were counting down to it. And like at which juncture a group of monsters that was very potent came forth and whooped our asses <laughs> wholesale and just dragged us out and killed us. And that was just one of the most like pant shittingly immersive experiences that ever happened when these terrible black obsidian soldiers came and kicked our asses. Because you would not, if they hadn't had the props of the glow and the glowing eyes in the woods just coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it's so good. And, and to uh, not to toot my own horn here, but there was a there was a uh, I. One of the effects that I love most in the world is uh, blacklight reactive stuff. Uh, particularly, it just it 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 it. I really like it that gl that weird ethereal glow that you can get off of that. Uh, there was a, a an encounter that was run wherein you know the the PCs both of these guys had to go into like this dark spiritual abode of these terrible like voodoo gods, and we had done the place all up. In glow-in-the-dark thing, we had, like, makeup on the monsters that made them glow, and all, it was awesome. The fight itself was a little crazy, just because of reasons. It uh, didn't, didn't go exactly as planned, but the atmospherics were wonderful. I got to see, I got to simulate breaking bricks over my knee, though, which, oh, was, yeah. which was fun. That was nice. Yeah. It, and that's part of what the enjoyment of LARPing Salon or Boffer is the props, is the aesthetic of it. Mm -hmm. Is sort of the, and again, Boffer, Salon and Boffer always go into the idea of what we go back to, immersion. The idea of how much a part of the world can we try to emulate safely for people. And that's what we want. Even the mechanics try to do that. They try to effectively adjudicate things that we would be able to do safely. And, uh, you know, part of this, part of what we plan to talk about is, you know, talk about immersion. And what we have decided to do uh, is that the three of us have selected a story, uh, a particular story that we want to tell uh, regarding, in this instance, it's all about the same game, Forest of Doors, which we actually all just came back from this weekend. Pretty good. Woo-wee! Yep. Yeah. Yep, uh, I'm tired. I'm, yeah, very I'm in tired. Pain. Uh, but, you know, it's a game we all share, and it's a game we all, if you're in the, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, we thoroughly recommend coming out and trying uh but three stories from that game to sort of that sort of sum up for us what it is to be in the moment and immersed and i think matthew is going to start it off yeah i'm going to start off here that was playing i'm going to give you a little backstory i'm playing soul a basically the white knight concept from a very very dark world um and he has been around in the forest aka in the game for a couple years at this point and there's this big bad that keeps showing up called Bloody Eyes. He's a Sin Eater. He's a big, nasty creature. We can leave it at there. Eyes of Blood, Skin of Tatters is his proper name. Bloody Eyes. God damn him. Anyways. Screw you, Adrian. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we have encountered this creature multiple times, and we've yet to kill him. He was so nasty when we first encountered him, and he was, even after multiple years of dealing with him, he was still fucking nasty. And so I walk up to Tavern. And I see him. He is in town. He's not killing anyone. He's talking to people. And people are just letting him talk. There's no violence. There's no nothing. There's just everyone is out on the porch watching him talk to a PC because he had taken a fancy to one of the PCs and the PCs had taken a fancy to him. And I was having zero of it. I had just I just basically lost my personal shit <laughs> because my character had just gotten tired of just evil running around. And we doing nothing about it. This was my first game, by the way, so he was just a really loud, blustery guy and clanking over, just screaming his head off. Uh, and so I come up to 
to the tavern, and I start yelling, and my buddy, my in out of play buddy, and my in game good friend was just like, "You need to calm down. We need to think this through." And he was, and I remember what set me off was he was like, "We'll do it later. We'll take care of him later." I was like, "When will later be then? Tell me what that day will be, and I will be there." And he couldn't, so I went up to the ta- uh, to the uh, uh, to the um, tavern. And where everyone was just sitting and watching, and I started yelling and going, are we going to stand for this? Are we going to just let him walk and do whatever he wants? When are we going to kill him? When are we going to not let just eradicate this evil? And I just got everyone fired up. My buddies tried to argue me down, and every time they tried to, the arguments got weaker and weaker and weaker. And then eventually something happened out there, and then I just yelled at him yelled at and called him out and the entire town just mobilized and ran him over and that was a ridiculous fight except those of us who were on their first game and who were informed pretty pretty wholeheartedly it's like this may this fight may be slightly too tall for you at which point they explained to me that literally nothing i could do to this guy this thing would harm him in the least at that point and which uh, in in saying in fod's benefit um, he wasn't the only guy. He had a couple of of minions around, which that's always a really good strategy if, for for just people who run who want to run these sort of things. If you have a big bad monster, always have a couple of like weak weaker chodes because you want multiple people to engage in it. You don't want to just be like you have to be this tall to ride this ride, or otherwise just sit in the tavern. Well, yeah, you also need to entertain everyone. MMO. This is a very MMO style fight too, because the way these these little minions worked is if he got a hold of one of these things, if the big boy got a hold of one of these things, he ate them and healed himself. Like after three seconds, like so, it was in your best interest to have your lesser fighters and your lesser spellcasters going after these little guys, so that he keep them away, so that he couldn't constantly regenerate his health because. As we said, we're not a very high numbers game, but at the time that this was happening, this this thing we were fighting was massive. He was horrifying, and and I one of the the thing that hooked me on LARPing is the moment I walked onto the field to actually just say screw it, I'm going to try to at least help these things, and one of my friends landed the last blow on him, and all I heard was voice effect invoke killing spell, which. Anyone who has played any video game or any RPG knows that a, what a killing spell is, and I've explained what a voice effect is, and I just watched 13 people fall onto the ground as hard as they could, and me just say, Ward. And it felt so good to live, and, and I was so scared. By that point in the fight, I mean, I was fighting him, everyone was fighting him, we were doing everything we can. I got completely jacked out by him. I went down by him, and then he did something he hadn't done to anyone else at that point. Mutilating strike, which basically says, "Oh, you're dead on the ground. That's cute. You're not gonna go get. You're not gonna get boxed. You're not gonna be brought back to life. I want you to go res. You're taking a death on the books, which means there's in most buffalo larps you only have so many lives to live. Go away because you caused me that much problem. But in the end, he got got. And it, when I came back and I found out I was the only one who took a death on the books." I just sat there smugly going, all right, that was worth it. Uh, yeah, and this was such a new mechanic. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't new conceptually, but it was it had never been used so before. Rare. Like, I remember Matthew, you know, he had gotten dragged off. I was actually playing a, a friendly NPC at the time. Uh, he had gotten dragged off, and uh, Adrian, the guy who played the big bad monster, uh, like, he, he, like, pointed at me and got was like, he's like, you need to make sure that Matt knows that was a mutilating strike. And I was all like, 
a what a what a what? And he explained <laughs> to me what it meant. So I was I ha- I was the one who got to walk back into town and be like, Matthew, you um um you took a mutilating strike there, and that's what this means. So uh. Yeah, and so I got up and went, bye guys, and went to Monster Town because I was dead. But, you know, when I came back and got resurrected, worth it. 100% worth it. And he was the only one that died as a result of that, which was very thematically appropriate, you know, because that was a rough, rough fight. But in the end, the one who started it was the one who took the consequences. And, you know, I think Matthew would agree that that's pretty even. Uh, Now, uh, moving on to the next story... So the same character, uh, two and a half years later, uh, was actually his uh, soul's opposite. Soul did his crazy magic to become a god of the world we we both came from, and my character, not wanting to be outdone and also having a big ass hate boner for the world itself, decided that it, he wanted to ride that ride as well and go in the complete opposite direction. Now there's a lot of backstory crap that led up to that being a much a very plausible scenario. But what it came down to was what we call a greater working, which is a super, super, in our system, large ritual in which basically unless you bring everybody to the party, the party ain't going to get started. <laughs> and I was told time and time again that this is this is going to be a hard one. This is going to get nasty because what I'm trying to do is so large scale and so scary. But what it, and it, what it really came down to is me standing – in a circle with six of my chosen like ritual com- people. And I was at the very beginning of the, of this thing completely uh, struck basically blind. Like I couldn't fight. I couldn't throw spells. I couldn't do anything. What I had to do was basically convince these six people in the middle of a, just a ass beating field battle <laughs> that I was bad enough of a dude to be a God of this world. And like it, it it was one of the most stressful things I've ever had to do, and not only that, as you may imagine, there were people amongst even the player base who found what I was doing to be uh questionable. <laughs> so there was at least I found out later on there were at least five vectors of NPCs and PCs attempting to stop what I was doing through either murdering me in my bed, disrupting the working, trying to convince other people to murder me in my bed. It was it was. It was wonderful to win, I'll tell you that. But what it came down to is we were on the ropes and I had essentially succeeded and was allowed to, again, take part in casting spells and fighting and stuff like that. But we were literally down to zero people and a few people hiding uh, in the ways that they could. And I was brought low in the center of the circle and uh, Matt's most lovely wife at the time risked herself to appear and stabilize me to the point where I could actually do something to her own detriment. And in doing so, allowed me to cast one of the biggest, nastiest spells I knew how to cast. And I hit a guy in the face in the dark from 15 feet away with enough damage to drop a boss monster in a single shot. Thus ending the greater working and actually succeeding at it because he was the one linchpin and he was the problem. So I, and that was just like the, the quiet that fell after it all came to an end where literally 95% of the player base was laying in the dirt in the mud, like, you know, dying and people were just rushing to try to like stop them from bleeding out. 
And I had just kind of had to deal with the fact that all of these people were going to be looking to what I do next to see if what they just went through was totally worth it. <laughs> and the truth of the matter was I was an evil fuck and probably not. <laughs> so, well, and, yeah. to be clear, a little clarification, he did, by doing this, save the world that he was a part of. Because the whole point was to balance out what my character had done. Because I had tilted the world in two extremo uh, of position. And he was there to ascend so he could counterbalance it to get some stability again. As weird and terrible as that relationship was, he actually did a good thing even though he became a horrible monster to do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, – uh, LARP is a wonderful place to play around with morality and ethics uh, where things are not necessarily uh, as black and white and cut and dry. When doing the doing the bad thing can be the right thing, that's some, some stuff. Uh, now, my story. My story is a little different because it's a story of how things can kind of go wrong, uh, both on an in-play and an out-of-play level, uh, which – we're, we all love this hobby. We all encourage people to do it, but it does. It's not always roses. It's not always the the the, the cream of the crop. Sometimes you you have to accept that things can go bad in ways that aren't fun, and it's important to be able to acknowledge that and deal with that. Um, so my story, uh, my character that I played, the second character that I played in FOD, uh, was a character known as the Timekeeper. Uh, and I had monstered, uh, which was being a full-time monster for eight games to play this character. So he wasn't run-of-the-mill. Uh, I, I was given that opportunity as a result of my volunteer work. He wasn't run-of-the-mill. He was very strange. He was very odd. He didn't come from any of the worlds that the players normally come from. He came from a long, long time ago. He had weird, mystic-y, scholarly powers that allowed him to see through time and space. Um, so he's an odd duck. Um, and he had himself a nemesis who came from the same ancient society that he came from. And as a result of machinations, as a result of some mistakes and whatnot, that nemesis followed me into the current timeline. Um, and this was a bad guy. This was a real bad guy. Uh, he's probably one of the most wicked evil things that we've encountered in that world. I mean, it, it, he kind of like... Anvar is kind of not. There's nothing ever been so awful as him. Yeah, he, as of yet. Yeah, cosmologically, cosmologically awful. awful. I mean, there are some really, really bad things. Uh, Eyes of Blood, Skin of Tatters is one of them. Uh, a very uh, overarching host uh, uh, villain known as the known as the Nightmare Host are really bad. Anvar, I think, if you pull the player group player base, takes the cakes in terms of really shit awful. Not villain. not love to hate because that's bloody eyes. Yeah. Hate to hate. <laughs> hate, hate. This was a bad dude. I mean, yeah, it, you also have the champion, but that's a whole that's, other story. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they're up there. Um, but at the same time, uh, the game, which had been running for what six, seven years at this that's point, that's about right. Yeah. Um, the game was going through an out of play transition uh, because the people who run it, uh, while we are all uh, very grateful for them, you know it. It takes a lot out of you to run these sort of things, you know. Just for that long. For that long. I mean, I've been I've been running, helping to run Fractured for five years now, and it is a it is an effort. Um, but in they had come to the decision that in order to keep things fresh, in order to uh, make sh make sure that they still have the sort of the creative energy to keep doing it, they decided that they need to shake things up in a very major fashion. 
which basically these two concepts, this really bad guy Anvar and this desire to do a basically a soft reset of the game, uh, essentially meant that Anvar was going to win. He was going to do something really, really bad, uh, which essentially involved infecting like this ancient dormant volcano that was in the area to cause it to erupt and cover the majority of the landmass on, on the continent in which this game takes place in like black magically choking obsidian and just kill everything. Um, and although I'm fairly certain that there may have been some ways for us to stop it or just to forestall it, there were 10 other things going on at the time and it would have required basically the entire, the entire focus of the PC's town, uh, to, to, to get it together and, and actually put a stop to this guy's plan. However, we, we were not resting on our laurels. We knew that something was up. So my character and you know my char- a lot of uh, the other town players had put a lot of time and energy into trying to, mitig- <coughs> to trying to mitigate this disaster and also personally stop Anvar to put him put his ass in a cage because even if we all burn to death fuck that guy yeah, exactly we we take want, the guy yeah, with we him. wanted to take him with us or or put him away or do something to stop him so to say that I was personally invested in the uh, the, the the events of the evening is a bit of a misnomer because this is a serious serious nemesis of mine. I, I the, the hatred that I summoned for this character is is genuine and true, um, and a lot of time and a lot of effort and, and a lot of sacrifice had went into putting this plan in place to make the best out of this very dark, very dire situation. And we had a plan. We had a really good plan. We were gonna we were gonna go to the place that we were gonna trap him in. We were gonna make our fortifications. We were gonna go uh, make our our uh, our stand. We were gonna lure him in, and we were going to enact the thing that would cage him and cut him off from his power and make that this thing that was going to happen, regardless of what we do, a little bit better and allowed us to 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 see it through. And Obviously, we can't say for certain because you know there's a certain degree of tight-lippedness about uh, you know when, when you're on a plot stack, you don't you don't lay out exactly what happened to your players uh, one way or another. That's just not it's just not ethical. But we we pretty much figured out that as a result of some pretty serious lack of communication amongst the plot staff, um, that encounter did not go well. It was not managed appropriately. The the enemies that we fought were uh, way more powerful than it was reasonable to express us to be able to do anything about. Um, the opportunities that we had tried to line up and, and had successfully lined up with our, pre- with our preparation and our foreknowledge were counteracted fairly handily. We were, supposed to, we were supposed to go to a place and fortify it, and we were standing outside for about 20 minutes getting ready to go to that place, um, when like out of play we all know where it was it was right down the road we could have just gone there but being good players we were waiting on someone in charge to tell us to go um 
And so we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and then the bad guy shows up and does this terrible enchantment that removes a lot of the the the, the powers and things that we had put on ourselves to make ourselves think. So we have to run our ass down to where this place is, getting our ass stomped six ways from Sunday. We get to the place and it, it it's just not happening. It it, it is it, it was essentially completely impossible for us to achieve any degree of victory. Um, you know, my character died. A lot of other people's characters died. Some very well-known plot NPCs who, uh, I will say that the plot members who played them were uh, a little surprised at, at the outcome of the uh, yeah, event. Exactly. Is how we knew things had gone awry when they were surprised. Exactly. So basically, this the plot staff had had made a gambit. They were they knew they were going to do something very bad to us, and there was. An un, I, I would say there was sort of a gentleman's agreement amongst them. Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna suck it up. We're gonna deal with this bad thing, but for the sake of a good story, we should be able to get this one thing out of it. We should be able to to grab this pearl of victory out of this sea of defeat. Right. And it didn't happen. Um. And I talked earlier about you know being in situations where you fail, where the bad thing happens. Um, that was, I mean, some real life stuff notwithstanding, that was probably one of the worst nights of my entire life, um, because I was so invested in the character, because the situ- the, the game in general was, was very good and, and, and had earned my, aver- my immersion, but for that to happen and to happen in that way was very deeply emotionally, uh, uh, traumatizing to me, and... A lot of other people were, were very, very upset about it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it this, while it is a fun hobby, while it is a worthwhile hobby, it is a little bit of, it can be a little bit of a chore to, to get it right sometimes. And sometimes it can go really, really wrong. And this, now what Scott's saying right now about emotional trauma may come as a, like a very, you may like cock an eyebrow if you're a person who has never done anything but play some grindy face for you D&D. But people get very attached to a LARP character. You have taken on the persona of another human being. You may walk differently, talk differently, use an accent, even occasionally slip into other languages if you know them. Like, you will completely change your affectation to, to be someone else. And that can have an effect on your, on your psyche if you do it enough. And if you do it for four and a half years you begin to treat that other character as a voice that you have in your head in a non like mentally ill way that you always can like, that's something you can summon up or go into as we discussed in earlier episodes mm-hmm. to have that. And, and he, to have that just wrecked, taken away from you to fail as that person in such a profound way, or even to just retire the character and have them walk off into the sunset to go do greater things can, has I've known it and have personally experienced it, it can be very, very upsetting. Like, I talk about, like, the story I told, that was my last game as that character. So he walked off to go do his, to do his dark bidding. (laughs) I had to go deal with, like, going back to school on Monday and having to be a normal guy, and I felt real sad about it. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, just like we've said a couple times uh, in this podcast about this is a social community. It's a social dynamic. Um, people get invested. They put effort in, aka, especially about the prop making we've talked about, the character development. All of that are all places. Both the P 
PC, aka the players, and the staff members. Staff members get attached to their game too, and it's hard, and it can be rough, and you want things to go one way, and they go they go another, and you have to deal with that both from like a, just a narrative wet perspective and a logistical perspective, and you got to deal with your friends and everyone else who's a part of the game. So I, I definitely want to say thank you, Scott, for sort of bringing that. We, me and Ryan, brought some glory stories to mm-hmm. it, and you brought sort of a, a, a sobering uh, tale about how things can go wrong, and that it's a good responsibility, staff and player alike, to work together and to communicate and to say failure can happen and and uh, that's definitely a very bad case of that i definitely can recall and i won't go into details now because we are running a little late on time uh, about the idea of you can fail in game but that being a point of growth and of maturity for your care oh yeah there can be good failures my my story was definitely a bad failure but you know i i can i can also agree with matthew there have been times where Failure has happened, and it has been a, a bolstering thing, a, a well, we're not going to let that happen again kind of thing, uh, where it's not completely demoralizing. And, and that is a perfectly valid and, and, and fun thing to go through. Yeah, you take your licks and you learn from it. it it's, you know, you can say that in pretty much any sort of learning, learning experience. And it happens to us just as much as any other sort of, I guess, sports thing. But <laughs> I think we, we need to wrap it up, guys. But... Instead of leaving it on a very somber or negative note, let's end it on a very good note. Because guess what, guys? We got our first email. Someone actually emailed us. Yes, I mean, we know, somebody. I, we, knew, we know the guy. I'm not going to lie to you. We know him. But, you know, hey, so he's thanks. He's still an audience member. He is part of the community of Polyhedron. So uh, I'm going to have Ryan take it away with the email, and we're going to try to answer it the best we can. And also, he was very polite, so there's no, there not going to be a funny voice. Uh, so this is from our friend Joel. Uh, he says, Hey, Polyhedron, the show is really coming along. It's kind of strange listening to people I know on a podcast, but I kind of like it. Thank you. Uh, but enough about that. At about 16 minutes in your third episode, Scott states that the dice mechanics in a game should speak to the theme of the game. With the new edition of Exalted, it seems that a lot of the charms are about doing silly things with dice. Do you feel this is in line with Scott's statement? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say absolutely. Um, I I haven't looked too deeply into Exalted um, because it's not really out yet. I think the only people who have copies of the new edition of Exalted are those who backed it uh, and have uh, the sort of the preview copy of it. So I haven't actually had a chance to look at it, um, but I have heard some things. Uh, and Exalted has always, like, especially in the second edition, has done some funky stuff with dice. Um, and so I would absolutely agree, yes, that sort of thing is what I'm talking about, where the method of you out of play uh, adjudicating your success or failure speaks to the in-play scenario. Um, like, I understand there's some things like the, where you get 9 again, where instead of rolling... Uh, okay, so the, the 9 again would be you roll 9 or above, and then you roll that die again to see if you get more successes. Two successes. Oh, two successes, two successes. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, or in second edition with a sidereal exalted, they could literally like manipulate the target number of the dice, meaning like the number that you have to hit in order to get a success. Um, that is exactly what I was talking about in terms of dice mechanics uh, informing and and uh, flavoring the story. Um, the idea that you know there's a normal way to do things, i.e., you roll your dice, you get successes, whatnot. 
But when you make little tweaks to that as a result of magical woojits, absolutely. That that informs what you're doing and how you do it. Alteration of target number is actually a very old mechanic in the White Wolf thing. Oh, the yeah. first edition uh, Vampire did it. But I actually like the... if I, I, Honestly, I have not looked a thing at 30 edition exalted but if it is alteration of target number i actually like that as a like a completely player driven thing except instead of a gm fiat thing because that i mean at that point it's not the gm saying this is harder or easier or anything like that this is the player being awesome at a thing to make themselves just like maybe a hair better through their you know their power than someone of the exact same statistics, mm-hmm. which I always appreciate. It actually happened in the Street Fighter tabletop game as well, whereas you got ranked up and got more proficient. Your target number on the die went down from seven to six, which is a way of saying, you know, you're just that much more of a badass. Yeah, and you got to also think about it. Take a moment, Joel, and think about it is, what does that say about the setting? If things are getting altered and dice mechanics are, are being manipulated, what does that say? Why is it saying that? And... The more I have looked at third edition, the more charms you get, the cooler you are, even amongst other exalted, other special people, you are that much more special in that area than those guys. And what does that say? And how does the dynamic of that character work? So definitely look at that and see that that does alter and make the themes of the game better. Just like Scott said with Sidereal in second edition. Only really sidereals had the ability to alter target numbers. That means sidereals were very special and very unique amongst their peers. Whereas solars were like, uh, yeah, I just get a thousand dice and a thousand successes. I just do it better than anyone else because that's what I'm designed to do. Whereas sidereals couldn't get as many successes, but mundane things were were so easy for them. To and they accomplish. they could tweak reality. Exactly. To do what they wanted, so they didn't need overwhelming power to do it. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, thank you very much uh, for that email, Great Joel. question. Great Appreciate question. It. Please, Excellent. If anyone has any questions, please bring them in. Please let us know. It's at polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. We're always open for questions. I mean, if you guys want to do like ask for an entire episode of more LARP stories, I'm sure you guys would absolutely love yeah. to hear that. Oh, yeah, because we don't get enough of that when we go out to dinner. Yeah. Um, but uh, Or, you know, if you want to ask questions or if you just want to bring up a topic, if you just want us to shoot the shit about something, whatever. Shoot, shoot us an email, guys. We'll be happy to do it. And if we get enough of them, we'll do an entire episode that's just a mailbag. Mailbag! Mailbag! Where it's just us talking and talking about your questions and discussing and shooting the shit, as Scott said. And don't forget, um, most importantly, the Patreon. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, the Patreon. And I'm also happy news. Another bit of good news is we have our first patron. Yeah. Absolutely. I would like to wholeheartedly thank uh, Miss Kaylee Chambers for being our first donating patron. Uh, that's a little, little bit of, little bit of clink in the, in the cookie jar, and we are very appreciated for yeah, it. Yeah, we really are. Thank you very much. Your name. Once we have the, the, uh, the friends of the show page on the website, your name will be the very first one there, and it'll always be as long as that website is there. And also, thank you for all the kind words of support. Yes, Absolutely. please. Um, please, if you really like the show. Send us a little money. You don't have to give us as much as Kaylee did, a, a couple cents, a dollar. Please do it. That's going to help us get better equipment. We're going to be able to do more with the show, better bumpers, a whole slew of things that I have planned. And we can only do it if you guys come and help us do it. So go out there, tell your friends about the show, and try to become a patron if you can afford it. Absolutely. And please give us a five-star review on iTunes because that is uh, kind of the metric by which uh, the, 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 the powers that be pay attention to this sort of thing. 
uh, Stitcher as well. Um, and yeah, like, comment, subscribe. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, I think that's going to do it, guys. So from all of us here at Polyhedron, um, go out and have some fun. Go roll some dice. Namaste.